Computer, initialize Holosuite. We are the Borg. Lower your shields and surrender your ships. We will add your biological and technological distinctiveness to our own. Your culture will adapt to service us. Resistance is futile. to our wonderful magical Borg series that we've got going on here on The Expanse, a Star Trek Enterprise podcast, presented exclusively to you by Hall Sweet Media. So, Kyle, got a question for you. Okay. Do you have any tiny ships, and are they broken? <laughs> Is that a reference here on Mission? <laughs> yes! Wait, what am I... When Lily tells oh, Picard to blow up the damn ship. Yes, dude. Dude, yeah. You know, as you said it, I thought you, I thought you were talking about the defiant and the dig about the um the small <laughs> ship from Riker to Worf but I was like oh, they didn't say it was broken though and I was like ah I was no. in the wrong part of the film <laughs> but <laughs> I get it I'm cool no um I don't I do have a dinosaur toy near me that's missing an arm uh, which broke today but that's that's the only thing oh. broken um in my house I think Right now. All right. Well, hey, that with the age that your kids are, that's that's a blessing right there, <laughs> especially with your cats running around. Too. Well, yeah, he's breaking everything he can. Yeah. <laughs> so, yes, uh, I am Chris Hill, one of your co-hosts, Kyle, as well as back as just about always. You know, we, we won't fault him for not being here for the right. I love room, that you so. always make a point of mentioning that I miss <laughs> I miss the writer's rooms on here. <laughs> Whenever I have to skip an episode, you can you can always point that out too. I'm waiting. So. I'm waiting for the time. I am uh, I am leaving the show in capable hands when I'm right here. Though you and Br- you and Brandy, yeah. Um, so it was nice listening. It's quite cool for me as well because it means I get to listen to an episode of The Expanse that I've never listened to before. So it's like it's, yeah. it gets to be like I enjoy it as a listener as well. So if you haven't listened to any of the writers' rooms. Guys, um, I guess it's kind of like fan fiction in a way because you you're creating mm-hmm. stories that you would like to see as fans. But even just for the camaraderie between Brandy and Chris, guys, it's worth it's worth listening to. I think most of the episodes are just <laughs> you and Brandy just yeah. uh, just having fun <laughs> with each other. But yeah, definitely give us a listen to, uh, and I will stay out of the way for them. Before we dive into first contact here as the the middle portion of our Borg sandwich, if you will. Um, oh, God. Get a few things out of the oh, way. Borg sandwich. I mean... Yeah, not not exactly the smorgasbord that uh, Shrax <laughs> wanted, but you know. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, go ahead and uh, follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at NX01Podcast. Let's see here. Yeah, go ahead and like, subscribe, give us five-star ratings. <laughs> How are we doing on those ratings, by the so way? So we haven't had any new uh, Apple podcast reviews uh, recently. So we're still sitting on 16 reviews with a 4.8, which again, oh, very frustrating. We mm-hmm. like, So we have 15 of 16 reviews, which are five stars, which thank you to everyone who's left those for us. Yes. Uh, but the one that's pulled us down was that infamous two-star review where our listener uh, wrote about how much they enjoyed the show and 
thought it was great, but just didn't like that they had a spoiler for uh, a character fate in the final episode from us, even though we put spoiler warnings <laughs> on our show. So yeah, um, and made it clear that we weren't like a review of the show episode by episode, like playing stupid as if we don't know what's mm-hmm. coming. We were very clear from day one that we would talk about Enterprise as a complete and finished article and that we, we should be avoided <laughs> if you didn't know where yeah. Enterprise was going. You know, I've, I've told people, myself, friends... Who want to listen? I've said, look, just wait until you've watched everything because you may come across a spoiler that you didn't want to encounter and you could have avoided by staying away. But if you've seen all of Enterprise, yeah. then jump on board, uh, jump on board this uh, this little wagon, yeah. this wagon train to the stars, and uh, and enjoy it all with us. But yeah, I think we're sitting on sixteen, so it would be great to get some more reviews now in twenty twenty one, just yes. to get us going. And uh, anyone who does leave reviews. We're so grateful for the time it takes uh, to do them. And uh, we're not begging for reviews, but it just helps us go up on algorithms and search engines and things like that. And ultimately, we just yeah. want to get to more Star Trek nerds like us and uh, and get more eyes, and well, not more eyes on us, I guess, more ears on us. <laughs> um, yeah. More, more years listening to us. So, uh, yeah. So if you can review us, please do, or just leave a rating. I think that works as well. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm going to say, if you guys have any comments on anything that we've said, feel free to do that in the Nexus. Yeah. Our little listener's lounge, if you will. Or you can, you know, comment on our posts on Instagram twi- or, or Twitter. Yeah, uh, so. it can slide into our DMs. Love a bit of DM action. Yeah. Um, I'm going to say, do we, ha- do we have those open? Yeah, since, yeah, they're since, open. You know, we're, we're kind of following each other on the, on the Twitter. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if it's open to everyone. No, it's open. So, so the yeah, DMs are open on, on all of those social medias, actually. So, yeah, Facebook... You can message us on there. Uh, Instagram mm-hmm. are open. Get a lot of DMs through Instagram. All these reactions, which is great. Uh, it's all engagement, guys. And uh, and yeah. Twitter DMs are open as well. Uh, if you are a fellow podcast, Chris delightfully created a Google calendar of podcasts yes. and their release dates. So if you'd love to be on Chris's wonderful podcast that caused all sorts of controversy a few weeks ago <laughs> that, that we found ourselves in um, because yeah us releasing on a th- it wasn't us was it it was a, or, another no, show no, it was some release yeah, on a, Thursday. a live reaction show for for Discovery. yeah and some weird someone in the group who who didn't want any podcasts or uh, vlogs releasing on the same day as CBS released because we wanted to leave Thursday blank for cbs because that's their day and we don't want to get in licensing trouble well the truth is actually that the, the launch day the release day of the shows is the day really you'd want to get reaction shows out because that's yeah. when most searches happen first thing i do when i wake up if i haven't even seen the episode i go to trackbbs.com and i just click on the view results of the poll uh, to see how people are rating it and um, if i haven't seen it so i don't read anything and then as soon as i finish watching discovery I then very quickly pop on Trek BBS. What are people saying right now? Let's go hit the hashtag or see what Trekkies on Twitter who I trust. Uh, what are they saying? So that's that's all on that release day. So and I think actually CBS want the fans to be talking the most about the show on release day because yeah. again for them that's the day of engagement is to strike. Mm-hmm. So yeah, but if you want to be on that calendar, it's a calendar of all the podcasts um, and what days they come out. Uh, I think there's some video ones on there as well, Chris. Um, yeah. But please, if you do DM us on Twitter about that, please just address it to Chris. He can add you on. But for the for yeah. the record, I will say this because I feel like I'm dropping you in now, Chris. <laughs> we we, no, that's we are not managing <laughs> this thing. So no, we we just we just set it up. 
and Chris is the tech guy, basically. So and <laughs> so we need to clear this up now. I feel like this is the first time we're putting it out there, Chris. That um, yeah, you, you know, I don't even understand how Google calendars works, really. So uh, Chris can add you, I guess. Chris, can you if you want to be on it? But that's it. Yeah. Um. What What I can do is I can I'll, I'll invite them to or invite you know your, you your you as your podcast to be able to edit in and, and put in your you know your details which yeah. day your, your yeah all your details for your podcast and that's as that's as far as your involvement goes we exactly we have no rules no <laughs> no nothing just no one no one come to us for that because it's just like a it's a clusterfuck that. <laughs> <laughs> that we got caught up in that I, mean, I I feel like it wasn't actually the first time I've had to message you as well Chris and be like Chris what what the fuck have you got us into man like, <laughs> <laughs> emails dms everything was flying yeah. around uh, I was like what what is going on um so if if you're involved in that whole thing and you feel like I'm calling you out then I am no <laughs> sorry sorry but uh, yeah it was a bit of a chaotic we haven't spoken about that at all really that's quite funny no we haven't yeah, funny <laughs> So, um, yeah, sorry, I, I really took us off on a tangent then, and we, yeah, have, a lot, we have a lot right. to talk about. And, uh, before we get in any further, we'll go ahead and let you know how to become a, a patron. So, yeah, we'll go ahead and drop that now. If you enjoy listening to The Expanse, a Star Trek Enterprise podcast, every week, then please consider supporting our show by becoming a patron. Visit our Patreon page at www.patreon.com slash nx01podcast. There you can view our subscription tiers. Some of the benefits of becoming a patron include early access to our episodes, bonus episodes, and so much more. Your support helps us continue to maintain and exceed the high level of quality that you have come to expect from this show. To all of our existing patrons, we appreciate you and your generosity so much. And to those of you considering joining us, we would be so thankful to welcome you into our group of patrons. Again, visit patreon.com slash nx01podcast for more details. You will also be able to find the website link in the details of this podcast episode. Welcome back in. Let's see here. Do we want to go ahead and do a quick overview of First Contact? Or do you think that would be a little unnecessary since it's really the most popular of the next-gen movies? Well, I think we... basic plot is that uh, what the, the Borg attack at the Federation. They're, yeah. they're going straight straight to the heart. They're going for Earth. And they do get stopped. The Enterprise was ordered to stay away, but Picard gets involved. The reason they were told to stay away was because Picard was obviously uh, previously the cutest of Borg. So Starfleet thought that made him a, a liability, an unknown factor or whatever it is they use uh, the words. And Picard helps them save the day. Borg ship, a little sphere, sneaks back in time. Enterprise gets caught up in the wave. And they realize that the 24th century Earth has changed. It's full of like 9 billion Borg. And they realize that the Borg changed something in the past. And ultimately, the Borg had gone back to try and prevent first contact between humans and the Vulcans, which was seen as the, I guess, the moment that Earth became, well, the, the moment that Earth went on the path to becoming uh, an interstellar power, because otherwise they were just well, still recovering from World War Three, really, so mm-hmm. um, weren't much of a threat. So, um, But good guys win, bad guys lose. Sefran Cochran's able to make his flight, and the Borg, who managed to sneak onto the Enterprise and pretty much take over the ship, were ultimately stopped, and all ends happily. Or so we think. And we'll talk about that in the next yeah. week's episode uh, about yes. um, some fallout from this one. Mm, but yeah, it's, I mean, the reason we're talking about this one, Chris, as part of our 
Borg three-way. So all sorts of innuendo in this episode for stuff yes, Borg. Yes, yes. Uh, I think there's some key Borg stories in Trek. And for me, uh-huh. it's... And people will add more in as well. But I think if you took it down to basics, there's uh, Q-Who, I guess Best of Both Worlds, but we haven't covered that because yeah. we couldn't just become a TNG podcast. <laughs> and then I think it's Star Trek First Contact. Um, yep. I guess you could include Scorpion, parts one and two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's from Voyager. And then I think it's Regeneration. Um, from Maybe some people might say Endgame, um, but I feel like it that raises more questions than it does answer them. So... Kind of leave it mm-hmm. out. But yeah, so I think First Contact's one of the key parts. And because what we want to do is talk about the Borg and how they sort of evolved over Trek before we met them in Regeneration. That's what this whole Resistance is Futile sort of special event's all about for us. I think you have to look at First Contact because that's where the Borg were changed visually, were changed with their presentation. They went from being like more, they went from being the cybernetic race that could assimilate you and turn you into one of them to being a like a horror villain in a sense, you know, yeah. and the makeup changes were grotesque. And so I think that's an important bit to go through before we then go into next week's episode where we, and we'll talk about regeneration in detail. So yeah. First one was the first time you saw first contact. And so I saw first contact in the cinema. It was the third Star Trek film I'd seen in the cinema. Now I'm not sure what date it came out in the UK. It dropped at the end of 1996 in the U S and yeah. Canada, I think. So Back then, there was like sometimes a two or three month wait for things to come out in in the UK. It was a long time. So it probably came out in 1997 in the UK. I might be wrong. I I should have checked that before I came on. But I would have been 10 or 11, depending on when it dropped. Now, it was a 12. We didn't have the 12A at this point, which is where a parent could take you in. So uh, if you were going to a 12 and you weren't 12, you weren't allowed to be there, even if you were with an adult. So I remember thinking I was like really awesome for going into this uh, this film, and then immediately shitting my pants the moment that uh, the implant jumped out of Picard's cheek <laughs> in the opening. So, uh, so yeah, I saw it in the cinema. I'd seen, in fact, I've seen every Star Trek film in the cinema since The Undiscovered Country, which is my first one. Uh, so this was the one I think though where I thought, oh, wow. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, that just even from the beginning with the music and everything, it was just wow. So I, I remember my first time seeing it. But I guess I should ask you the same question because you you were behind on Trek for, for years. Yeah. So when would you have seen First Contact the first time? My first contact with First Contact <laughs> was actually not until about wow. 10 or 11 years after after it came out in 2006. Oh, wow. Or 2007, right on there. So after Enterprise was finished, yeah. Mm-hmm. After Enterprise was finished. And what I did was I had gotten, you know, the, the DVD collection that they had at the time and decided to just go ahead and finish it out. And really, my introduction to TNG was through the movies. Oh, okay. Oh, so you saw the movies before before the show, really, then? Yeah, before before I saw the... Before I re- remember seeing any episodes, so... Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay, that's cool. So what was your thoughts on it, then? So you wouldn't have known anything about the Borg. I had heard about the Borg, kind of knew a little bit about them, but I, I really did enjoy First Contact. Um, it is actually my, my favorite of the, the TNG set. Yeah. Um, and I, I do have a friend, or I do have, you know, at least a little some people in my corner with my second favorite, which is Nemesis. Ah, okay, interesting. Uh, well, that's a debate for a whole other time. Yes. Because I enjoy Nemesis as well. I think Nemesis is a good film, uh, but I know mm-hmm. that a lot of people dislike it uh, in the fan base. Yeah, yeah, I think I think Nemesis is a well-made film. Uh, definitely, this and First Contact are the top two. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, and for me with Nemesis, you know, I watched it and, and I liked it before I knew I was supposed to hate it. <laughs> yeah, I love I love these rules that get made for us that we're uh, we're meant to hate things. If if we if you're yeah. a true Trekkie, you'll hate Star Trek. If you if you like Star Trek, <laughs> you're not a Star Trek fan. You gotta hate it to to prove your your worth. <laughs> I'm telling you, every time I watch Star Trek, it's hate watching it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But, but yeah, uh, so I remember actually, sorry, I'm, I was just going to say, when I was in the cinema, I remember it being quite full. And this was mm-hmm. the cinema we went to, it would have been called UCI at the time. It's now an Odeon uh, in Swansea. Uh, it, was a cin- it was the only cinema we had for the longest time. Uh, it was very like almost flat seating. So it wasn't any of this like normal, sorry, we call them cinemas. I guess sorry. you call them movie movie theatres or something out there. So yeah. we, we can call them that. We call them cinemas for the most part. So now most cinemas in the UK are like, the American style movie theater yeah, experience of the, the really yeah the steep tiered yeah uh, but we don't didn't have that then so I was short so I'd probably have someone's head blocking <laughs> a lot of the the shot as well so uh, but I remember it being quite full in there I just I still remember it being quite warm because it was so full you know that you know because they never seem to have any decent aircon in a uh, a cinema screen when it when it's full and I just remember thinking that I was seeing like an event film because. It, when I saw Undiscovered Country, it was like, I feel like it was a Saturday or Sunday, early, not early morning, late morning. So it was quiet, or at least it felt quieter. Generations, I remember being sat in the same cinema towards the back of the screen. And I think it was steadily busy in there, but I think it was like a time of day where it wasn't silly. But this was the first one, I think, where it was yeah. like, wow, I'm seeing a track film. There's loads of people here. And I mean, that's reflected in the performance of the film as well. It was mm-hmm. the the only TNG film to really capture the imagination of the the general viewing public, which is seen in its gross. And it probably was the only one that did that until 2009's uh, Star Trek yeah. from J.J. Abrams. So for 13 years, there was no casual people going to see Star Trek films in the cinema, which um, is crazy in hindsight, because you think First Contact did so well, it seems crazy that that didn't result in a higher take for Insurrection. Which is what you quite often right. will see. Yeah, he's, nowadays you have I don't know uh, an Ant Man or Thor come out where people aren't very familiar with it, but it'll do big money, so, or decent money. But then the net is the sequel that does the big money then because it's become a because everyone loved the first one and more people saw it on DVD and stuff. But that didn't happen with Trek and Insurrection. But I, I would sorry no. First Contact and Insurrection. But yeah, just one experience. I mean, so you watched it on DVD for the first time then and. So you, you've, have you ever seen it in a cinema? Have you seen a like a re- No, I have ne- I never got to see it in 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 theaters. Actually the first uh, Star Trek movie I ever saw in theaters was 2009. Okay, yeah, you've told me before. Yeah, it's just a shame that they don't they don't revisit the TNG films in the cinema. Cuz I've yeah. seen I saw 2009 in the cinema a couple of times. I saw Into mm-hmm. Darkness. When I went to see Beyond, I went to see a uh, a three film showing, so it started at like seven o'clock in the evening they showed 2009 then into darkness and then midnight darkness. midnight hit there you go now we can show you star trek beyond yeah and, and i know they've done screenings of rafa khan motion picture i'm guessing the other ones have probably been done in some shape or form but no one seems to just take like first contact and yeah. i would love as a grown man now to go watch first contact on the big screen i just oh because it just Beautiful looking films. Well, the 25th anniversary is coming up next year, so need content in cinemas and uh, 
and such. Maybe maybe we'll see some special events, but see yeah. how vaccines go first for that that global yeah. pandemic that we're uh, we're fighting. Which, from from what I hear, they're 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 doing pretty well. You know, just the usual, um, you know, allergies that that some people have that we don't find out until after they've taken. Yeah, yeah, so. yeah. Just got to make sure first, Chris, that all the politicians who told us there was nothing to worry about with COVID nineteen, we have to make sure they get their oh, yeah. vaccine first. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and yeah. then maybe we can get a vaccine, and then maybe they're... we can go see a film in a in the movie theater. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're 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 like the that that snobby guy in, in in Titanic with the kid trying to get onto the lifeboat. That's that's how I see him. <laughs> that's a very good, very good uh, comparison. But yeah, anyway, so with uh with first contact, um, after I watched it, I I thought, wow, this was this was pretty good. Definitely got uh, Wrath of Khan vibes, mm. even though I had no. Even though you know I didn't actually see Best of Both Worlds or anything like that beforehand, but they gave you enough in the story to be like, hey, you know this this is something from Picard's past, similar to Kirk with Khan. How was that for you then? Did it work okay? Yeah, because it was playing on well, much as you say, much like Ratha Khan, it's the only other real Trek film that is playing on an episode that comes from the TV mm-hmm. show. So I mean, did it? translate to you that you'd missed something or did they explain it away or did they explain it in a way where you were even aware you'd missed something or did you just think it was backstory for the film and it was created for the film or something no i though i knew you know i I knew of you know best of both worlds and stuff like that just from the the casual interaction that at that time i had had with other star trek fans so i so i knew it wasn't you know backstory just created for uh for just created just for the movie but I, they were able to explain it to me in a way to to where I could see, you know, Picard how how Picard would would feel coming up against his his all the the ones that had you know gave him bloody nose and yeah and left him yeah so. yeah yeah oh good good I was curious because I, I watched this with uh, just before doing this I watched the whole whole film with Katie first time she'd seen the whole film she'd seen some of it on before mm-hmm. before I pulled her into doing Trek podcasts. So she didn't feel a need to have to normally watch them, but uh, she watched that with me, and she obviously has not seen Best of Both Worlds. She hasn't even seen the Borg get introduced yet, but she's seen the Borg because she's watched Star Trek Picard, so she's aware that he was yeah. one. But she wasn't immediately sure at first if this was before he'd been a Borg or like where it fell in the timeline. So I had to clear that up for her a bit. But I guess she's watched stuff from so f- like she's watched so much. TNG related stuff from different mm-hmm. parts of the timeline and like going back and forth that I guess it probably was more confusing for her because of that um, yeah. rather than for you who was kind of familiar with Trek and you knew the films followed the TV show but for, for Katie there's been a TV show then films then a TV show <laughs> so she's yeah. probably like you know like how, how do I make sense of this timeline but it seems easy to us as Trekkies yeah. probably not for other people but I thought the opening did a really good job of establishing, like the first five or ten minutes are really about telling us that Picard used to be a Borg. But I tell you what kind of ruined a part later in the film, actually, Chris, was because they showed us the Borg in the in that first opening segment, that dream sequence. Yeah. And I know they tried to rush through it. It was done quickly, so you couldn't ever really focus on the drones properly. But that ruined the fact that the rest of the film, up until about, what, 35 minutes into the film or so where they were avoiding showing a Borg drone properly. Right. But it was, it was that proper horror thing of 
you'd see the effect they were having on people or their shadows, but you wouldn't see them. And then there's this big reveal and it's a cool shot where they do the close-up on the Borg and you see this new makeup design. But we'd already kind of seen it at the start of the film. So yeah. building up to it, to that big reveal of this this villain's look, it, it didn't quite hit for me because I'd already seen what they looked like. And I wouldn't have cared about that when I was 10 or 11. But when I watch it now and I realise that it was building towards that, getting that good look at how terrifying they are and what coming towards you. Yeah. I was like, well, I've actually kind of seen it already in the film. Forget what I've seen on Trek since. I've seen it in this film, what they look like. So it's not some big reveal to me that they're there. I mean, that was my take. I, I don't know what you thought about the reveal of, of the Borg look as monsters in this film. Actually, for me, with with my most recent watch through, I, I, I get where you're coming from. But for me, you know... I just kind of, you know, know that, hey, you know, this is where they transition because once, it, once you know, Star Trek Alien hits the big screen, that's when they go ahead and, and do their changes, like, you know, with the Klingons in motion picture. Mm. Yeah, it was, more, it was more about, it felt like the first 30 minutes, whatever, was building towards letting the audience see what these Borg actually look like. Because we'd heard them, yeah. we'd seen their shadows, we'd heard them assimilating people off screen and, and screams and all this stuff. But and then then we finally see their face, and that's a you know, that's yeah. cinema one hundred and one, movie making mm-hmm. one hundred and one. But they showed me their faces in in the intro. Yeah. We saw them in in Picard's Dreamer, so it kind of it just took away. I thought a bit of the hit. I mean, I think yeah. Jonathan Frakes does some of his best Trek directing in in this film, though, and I think he oh, yeah. all the horror parts of the film, so to speak, uh, quote unquote horror. Uh, I thought hit home perfectly, and I, I don't think that's his natural storytelling uh, to be involved with as, no. as a filmmaker. So I thought I thought he did really well with those. Um, what do you think about the Borg makeup then? Because I had seen I... them on. I hadn't seen them in Voyager yet because they had, they weren't in Voyager yet. I had seen their appearances in TNG, but not enough for it to I think to stick with me. But I'd seen Best of Both Worlds. So seeing them in yeah. First Contact scared the shit out of me, my man. Mm-hmm. Like they scared the shit out of me. What did you think? You'd never seen them before. So no. what were you thinking when you saw these villains? When when I first saw them, I was like, so this is how evil cyborgs would look. Okay, I'm down. Hmm. It was horrific, wasn't it? So, it looked, I, I think the Borg makeup looked like so aggressive. And I don't mean like, as in they look scary, they're going to get us. It just looks like something really has just invaded this person's body. Right. And has just mutated it uh, in a and distorted it in a disgusting way that it's, it looks painful. Do you know what I mean? And it, it makes sense yeah. why they scream when they get assimilated. I mean, let's not forget the first time we saw an assimilation in Star Trek, we didn't hear no scream or shout. We just yeah. saw Picard seemingly i think people i think it's generally accepted now that when the borg took picard off the bridge in best of both worlds that they probably assimilated him in that moment and it was like a slow running thing if i remember right i've not watched best of both worlds for a year or two but i think people try to sync that with what we saw in first contact with the tubes um which didn't exist until this film for what we'd seen on screen so but yeah just the makeup was just oh it's just you, you wouldn't want to become one of them. No. Definitely. You know, it was one of those things you thought, oh my God, because what well, Katie said to me, she goes, she goes, so are the Borg dead then? She said, are they, are they dead when they become Borg? 
I was like, no, they're still alive. Just they they yeah. cease to exist themselves, really, and and they just become part yeah, of this hive mind. They're no longer individual. They're yeah. part of part of the collective. And she's like, oh, but they look dead. And I said, yeah, I know. I think that's kind of the point in a but way. They that, were going. For yeah, it. they've been hollowed out and. And they've just got these all these things protruding from them. And there were some horrible ones I saw, Chris. I only noticed a few of them mm-hmm. on this final viewing. Like, it, in a bit where the Borg Queen... I think it must be the scene where they did the skin graft onto Data. Yeah. And there's a Borg drone. There's a couple around him when he's suspended on that bed thing. And right off his, his right shoulder, but on our left, there's two Borg drones... And the first one closest to him, who's slightly further back, has a Starfleet uniform on. And the implants come out of the top of his head just look like yeah. nothing we've seen on a Borg before. I don't know if you noticed it, but it just looked horrific. Mm-hmm. And it started to make me think that there was probably makeup done for this film that didn't make it into the film that we could yeah. see properly. Because it was probably right. going to increase the rating. Because I looked at that and I thought, wow, this looks like a monster. And that's what the Borg are in this film. They're monsters, aren't they? Yeah. Mm. Like I say, and I uh, I figured out when it when it released there in the UK for you. Okay. Uh, it was December thirteenth. Oh, it, of so it still came out in ninety six. Wow. Yeah. Oh, so how that was not long after that would be like a week or two after its couple weeks. Yeah, yeah. its US release. Wow. Okay, so yeah, it was definitely ten. Uh, so okay. I, oh, I really was sneaking in. That was probably the first. <laughs> Probably the first twelve rated film I ever saw uh, in the cinema. Yeah. I think uh, so. Wow, I'm uh, I'm glad. I always find out these these little questions I've had for years and years. I always find out the answers when I come on a recording session with you, Chris. You're just there with your little little yeah. keyboard typing away into yeah. Google, <laughs> answering life's questions I mean, for me. Well, this uh, that, that's what I try to do. You know, somebody somebody's got to do that for you. <laughs> So what did you think of the story on this, Chris? This film? I I, I really did did enjoy the, the story for, for what you know, as, as it was or as it was presented, you know, there. Definitely de- there's definitely more reason for Picard to go after the Borg than there was for Kirk to go after Khan. Hmm. Much more personal. Mm-hmm. And and you could you could see that in, in Patrick Stewart's performance as well. Patrick Stewart's incredible in this film. I mean, oh yeah. So for some sort of reference for people listening now. Um, as we record this, Katie has watched for our other show her first trek. She has watched five or six episodes of TNG, I think, and mm-hmm. I think it's five. No, it is six. Sorry, one ahead on TNG. So six episodes. Six. So she's seen season one Picard, but yeah. and she's seen how the way the crew uh, treating him very much like this authority figure and such. Yeah. But then she, in this film, she's presented with a crew who have been together for like, serving together for like nine years uh, or more. And they making innuendo comments like from Deanna to Picard. Mm-hmm. But she was seeing a Picard that she hadn't seen yet. Like, no. I mean, the scene with Worf, when they go at each other and he calls Worf. Yeah. He calls Worf a coward, I think it was the thing. Yeah. yeah. That's some of Patrick Stewart's best acting. In Star Trek, and then he fo- and, and follows it up a scene later in the conference room <laughs> with um, yeah with Lily. He's amazing. But yeah, and and with, with with that scene with with Worf, Michael Dorn gives it right back. You know, by by doing the if you were any other man, I'd kill you where you stand. Yeah, I mean, 
genuinely, Katie was sat next to me and she was like saying gasps or her face was just changed. She couldn't believe how these two were going at each other. And yeah, Michael Dawn mm-hmm. came with it as good as Patrick Stewart, but this was Patrick Stewart's vehicle. Generations very much was as well, but he was sharing the spotlight. This was the first yes. time where he was leading a Trek film on his own. And he, one could argue that he delivered the best performance uh, of a Trek lead in a movie uh, that yeah. we'd seen to that point. Because I, I don't know how you can really compare. I know Sh- Shatner has some wonderful moments um, throughout mm-hmm. his seven films. Uh, the When he finds out his son's dead, that's that, that yeah. scene is incredible. There's some great scenes in Ratha Khan with him as well. But I just, I feel like Patrick Stewart leads a film, though. Do you know, yeah. like, he is, I don't even know what the word is, but he, yeah, that film, it's kept together by him. And he he, grab, he grabs it, he picks it up, holds on to it, and Patrick Stewart's going to get you past that finish line. And, yeah. and he's going to be the best one in the film. No matter who else is in it, Patrick Stewart's going to be the best one there. Because mm-hmm. he's, he's going to bring it. And I know, don't know if we've ever seen that in track before. Yeah, and and that, that's not to say that, you know, ever, nobody else, you know, brought it because they definitely brought it as well. Hmm. Which I think, I think performances-wise, th- this would actually probably be about the best of, of all the Star Trek movies. Oh, yeah. I mean, we saw great performance from Jonathan Frakes, given he was behind the camera as well. I thought Marina Sirtis was great. Oh, one, wonderful job. Especially... Especially when she she had to act drunk. Oh that, yeah, yeah. That that to me is like like my one of my favorite parts in the whole. Definitely, movie. and just the chemistry with her and Frakes in that scene as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought that Gates McFadden was great with the little bits of material she had. There's a certain sense that this was this was Frakes' big opportunity, his big chance, yeah. probably his first feature. I'm not sure, but yeah, I think I think it was his first feature. And they came they came to bat for him. You know, it was like, yeah. we're, we're going to do this for our friend. We've also got this fantastic script. Mm-hmm. And now this is just us. We haven't got anyone from TOS here. It's just us. And we're all and we're all loving life. And I feel like, I think the Frakes factor really played into into it. Because even in Insurrection, yeah. with, when Frakes directed that one, you just saw a level of performance that, uh, and, just, and camaraderie that maybe wasn't quite there in Nemesis. I mean, I love Nemesis as a film, but it feels very different from how the the characters are portrayed on screen. So yeah, I think Patrick Stewart was fantastic, and that the scene with Worf and the scene with with Lily. Is it Lily? Mm-hmm. I'm saying Lily because I just watched yeah, Modern no, Family, so I'm doubting myself now because the daughter <laughs> Lily. <laughs> um, like that scene in the uh, the conference room, or whatever they call it on that ship. Holy crap! I mean, mm-hmm. when she walks into that room and she's like, "You son of a bitch." Yeah, and it was like, oh my god, you can't, you can't talk to Captain Picard like that. You can't, you can't talk to Patrick Stewart like that, <laughs> even on his set, <laughs> you know. And then yeah. when she says that he enjoyed, uh, that he enjoyed killing um, and Lynch and Ensign Lynch, and he's like, how dare you, you know? And it's just everything. Patrick Stewart was just incredible in this mm-hmm. film. Maybe he's part of the reason it's so good. I don't know. So yeah, um. I've mentioned one of my my favorite favorite moments, you know, outside of you know the whole Borg fights and stuff. So, what what was one of one of your favorites? Um, you told him about the statue. So that that line from Riker, <laughs> um, I yeah. always love that bit. The of the stuff that's away from the Borg, anyway. 
I, I thought that all the Zeph and Cochran stuff was great. Felt mm-hmm. every time he went, and this is where they got it right, Chris, because it was so dark and heavy on the Enterprise that yeah. every time they cut to Earth, it was bright, it was sunny, it was. Yeah. There was a little bit of comedy, even though the stakes were still quite serious. But it felt like, and and they were outdoors, whereas everything on Enterprise was very claustrophobic and dark, right. and like it was the exact opposite of it. And it wasn't like when you cut away from the Enterprise, like oh, I want to get back to the Enterprise now. Come on, screw this, get me back no. to the ball. It was like it gave you a breather, and it felt yeah. like a breather. It, it didn't feel like something that was just bad writing or structurally wrong with the film. It was like, oh, phew, we're just going to chill out in the trees for a minute whilst we shoot Zeph and Cochran uh, because he's trying to run away and uh, we're going to let him fall yeah. into a little stream. It just works for tonally. So I have a lot of favourite bits there, but um, a lot of my favourite things were the stuff on the Enterprise because I, I genuinely love how the Borg were re-envisioned for this, this film. The Borg Queen coming down yeah. and the... Uh, the stuff on the holodeck. Yeah. Uh, or the MH when he's yeah. summoned. And you... I just thought all of those bits. Yeah. It's too many. It's, Chris, I'm going to say now, <laughs> this is the best film for me of the first 10. So, of. Because okay. I kind of consider the 2009 onwards as like the next age. Next of, I, I, consider it the, I consider it part of the current run, really, even though I know there's. Okay. Uh, what an eight-year gap between 2009 Trek and uh, Discovery's yeah. launch, but for me, First Contact's the best of the of the ten films, and I don't think there's anything in the film I would change. I don't think there's a single thing I would change in this film. I love the visual of when the Enterprise is in the time stream thing, whatever the mm-hmm. actual name was for it, and they see the all the Borgified stuff on the planet. Uh, all those things, the the opening, the music, I mean, I've said before, the music is fantastic. My favourite soundtrack, the main theme for this film of the, well, I mean, Interaction actually had a really good one as well, but yeah, uh, just everything. The only, actually, there is one thing I would change. The Borg battle. Let's talk about the space battle okay. at the start. I mean, at the beginning. Yeah, over very quickly. Um, yeah, it, it's almost, it's almost like their, their plan was to Send out the boar or the, the 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 cube, but have that have the sphere there to take care of what they needed to take care of. Yeah, and this one random part of the cube that suddenly they could fire on and destroy the cube easily. Now, theory that just popped into my head. Okay. What if, what if the queen sent that to to Picard, so that way. You know, and and they kind of had a self destruct kind of going already, but they put, packed in a bunch of Borg into the sphere to go ahead and send it out. So that way they could they would think that they you know won the battle there, but then head on head off into Earth. Yeah, because I guess if Picard had known that fact all along, that would have been in a log or something. He would have made. He would have provided that data, wouldn't he? So he must have only thought of that in the, in there and then and he was connected to the ship at that point really wasn't he? he was hearing them so maybe you're right maybe she was playing him a little bit um she yeah. knew he was there you know and and i guess yeah it, it does raise a question of what was their what was their original plan 
was the plan for that one cube to to stop the whole federation i mean it doesn't work for me because even if they'd gotten to earth and started yeah. to assimilate loads i mean earth would have been full of however many billions of people at that point and you would have had fleets come back so even if you'd managed to get yeah. through you're gonna have the whole federation on you in a sec it ain't gonna last um right. i think i think realistically they would have just they would have nuked the whole planet the federation if they had to if, right. they, if everything was confined to on earth i think they would have just they would have been like a scorched earth situation so they must have been, as you said, a decoy for the sphere. Mm-hmm. Now maybe they didn't bank on Picard being there at the start, but as soon as he was there, it was like, oh, we can actually use this to our benefit now. Because maybe they thought they'd beat the little fleet and then let the ship out. I don't know, but it launched so quick, didn't it? Yeah. And the Queen was already in there, and it just seems like that was the plan all along. Could go back to when, as Riker says, you know. The, Earth was in no position to fight back. Was it six hundred million oh. dead? I think he says, and after World War Three. Yeah. So yeah, I think I kind of agree with you. And now you've said that, I think it was a. It, I think Picard got played with the way to destroy the ship, as and it was part of the plan all along. Because I, I do believe Plan A was to go back in time. Because if it wasn't Plan A. Doesn't it not just raise too many questions about why the Borg don't right. always time travel? Because if they yeah. if they could just do that in a last minute change of plans, then why haven't they done that all the time? You Before. Know? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. What did you think of that whole battle sequence? Did you do you think it's underwhelming or do, are we using are we using twenty twenty mentality looking at a nineteen ninety six film? I'm not sure. It's it's possible. But for for me with with that that battle sequence, I mean, it it was what you kind of wanted for in you know, a Star Trek movie battle sequence. You know, you had your ships flying all over the place, the good guys thinking they've at least won yeah. for a little bit. But yeah, it's just one of those where, where it did 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 you know, kind of seem like you know that maybe that was just sort of the diversionary tactic to get to get the rest of the their their plan to to assimilate the federation on track i love the reveal you know when the defiant is getting the shit kicked yeah. into it and then you have the enterprise arrive and it just flies past the defiant and you see how small the defiant is and, yeah and i know it's a small ship anyway but i hadn't realized until i look at schematics just how big actually the enterprise e was meant to be i think was, I, I think i've yeah. seen this bigger than the D or as big as the D mm-hmm. which I never thought to be the case as um as a Trek fan growing up I assumed the E was a lot smaller than the D just because I guess design and I always thought yeah. of the D as this, like just juggernaut in space and that they wouldn't have loads of those but um but I love that reveal because the ship yeah. even now I'm familiar with the ship we saw it in three films but you know I can sit there and watch First Contact and think, wow, that's the first time we see that ship. You know, and yep. every time, every time they <laughs> show it, what, a few minutes in. And it, mm-hmm. I think it may be outside of uh, TOS, which actually might, I might be wrong on that anyway. I think it's the only Trek that I can think of that has revealed its ship or main protagonist vessel of whatever sort. Um, Inside first, so Picard being on on the ship. Let's see here. So the D 
Yeah. I think we see it from outside because we zoom in on Picard. Right. Um, the the A and the um the refit we definitely see from out outside. From the outside, yeah. Voyager we see from the outside when Paris is being taken there. Uh, DS Nine. Uh, we see Picard. Uh, we see Cisco. Sorry, arriving mm-hmm. there. Discovery. We see from Michael's perspective first yeah. from outside. Um, well, when when we see the that little um, jail ship, whatever one prison ship, whatever. Yeah. Going there. Uh, La Serena. We see from I think outside. Yeah, I think... Or does he beam up first? I thought he beamed up first, and then we see it fly okay, away. Okay, that might be the only one then that I'm sure, because Cerritos we see from outside yeah. in Space Dock, I think is when we first see it. So yeah, I think it's the first time that we've had the ship reveal that done that way. So um, interesting. And it, but, and it still hits me every time, because that first shot's gorgeous. And they knew it yeah. was gorgeous, Chris. They knew this ship was... Mm-hmm. It was gorgeous. Like they gave us a they gave us a goddamn spacewalk scene on the ship, <laughs> not because yeah. they just thought they needed that for the plot. They just thought this ship is gorgeous. We're gonna have a new ship and we're gonna show it off. And what do you think of that whole sequence? Do you think it holds up now? I, I think it does. Yeah. Yeah. Because I I think that's how how logically you'd have to have to do it if you know you can't just you know shoot it to the deflector dish, anyways. So you got to go out and manually do it. Uh, it seems nuts, you know. They were just firing with their phaser rifles by the deflected dish, and I was like, yeah. "Guys, Jesus Christ!" I mean, <laughs> you know, you could a, a poorly aimed shot here could destroy the whole bloody ship. So let's uh, let's be a bit more careful. Well, well, you know, we do we do have Worf there, and I'm sure you know Picard is 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 very well qualified, especially when he's trying to take out his 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 former oppressors. So how did you? find the assimilation of uh, Hawk, is it? I can't remember his name now. Yeah. Um, how did he find that assimilation when he comes back and turns his head? I was I was, I, I was, was a bit blown away by it. Mm. He, he but... seemed like a new main character, didn't he? Yeah. And when he got taken away, so he's been held up in the air in this board, that was horrific. Just because yeah. he, there was no way he was going to fight be able to fight back from the position he was in and the fact it's zero G and just the way he's getting carried away. And Picard had to just get back down to business. He couldn't go after him. Yeah. He was like, I've got, I got stuff to do. I thought that was painful. So I, I believe that Hawk was meant to be an openly gay character. Yeah. Um, I think it was, it was in the script. Maybe it's in, still in the book. I'm not sure. But it's been in the fan base for a while that he was meant to be gay. And for whatever reason, it didn't make it into the film. So, but it's never stated that he's straight. So for me, he's he's a gay a gay yeah. man, which is great uh, representation. Um, of course, we just call him Damien Dark in our house when we're watching it because I don't know if, if you haven't seen <laughs> any of the Arrow, like Arrow or Legends of okay. Tomorrow. Uh, he plays Damien Dark in that, who is just this now, ridiculously cheesy villain. Um, yeah, I, I I know him from from Band of Brothers. Oh, okay, he's in that, is he? I didn't. Yeah. yeah, okay. Okay. He's in loads of stuff. He pops up. He pops up in loads of yeah. things. Yeah, he's also in sort of like the... There was a sci-fi series where it was like Wizard of Oz after uh, Dorothy went, or Dorothy left 
Tin Oz, Man. and then she came back for some reason. Yeah, Tin Man. I say I've seen it. Yeah, and and he's he, he's he's the Tin Man. So. Oh, is he? Yeah, God. I think so. I haven't seen that in so long that I wouldn't have even known it at the time. Yeah. I bet if I watched it now, I would probably pick up on it straight away. God, I didn't realize. Didn't realize, but I thought he was good in the film. Um, mm-hmm. What do you think came first, the idea to make it a Borg film or the idea to show First Contact? Oh, probably the Borg film. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you on that one. I wonder what got them to the First Contact idea. Then you know, like what they I probably probably what they did was they looked at you know up to that point the most successful. Star Trek movies, which were two and four, where you have mm. a revenge story and a time travel story. Yeah. And so Let's they put them both. together. <laughs> yeah. And I guess if they decided they wanted to show the Borg as more of a, as a horror villain or a monster, and they wanted them on the ship, taking over the ship, they probably looked at it and thought, well, we can't do that story in the 24th century because right. there'd be all sorts of help around um because if we wanted to keep the stakes of earth being at risk we couldn't just have it out in a nebula somewhere it needs to happen by earth um right so yeah i guess yeah it must have been borg it must have been borg first did you feel and this is going back to what we're saying about the enterprise e and how nice it looks do you think there's a slight emotional disconnect with seeing the ship bastardized by the borg because as the, as the Borg are assimilating the ship, we see these shots of all this Borg tech that has overtaken the corridors and things and, and engineering. And, it, and it's horrific to look at. You know, it's, it's we, we understand what we're seeing and how the characters are a bit shook up by it. But do you think, because we didn't know the ship at all, that the, the effect was kind of lost? And I guess, yeah, would it have... If it was the D, would you have thought, of as, as a TNG fan... Yeah, if it was the D, you would definitely have felt more more of a connection. I'm gonna say if if they would have done the the destruction of the the even if, even though it was the refit the the original Enterprise in in Star Trek three, if they would have done that in Star Trek two, I think it would have had just a little bit more weight. Oh, why do you think that then? With because it, it's the one it's the one we grew up with. We knew we actually had you know more of a connection with with the main antagonist. Yeah, 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 that makes so, sense. Yeah. Because I thought every time I watch First Contact and I see those scenes in the corridors, I just always think, God, if that was the Enterprise D, this would be painful to watch. And I would hate the Borg. Yeah. I'd hate the Borg for what they're doing to the ship. But now I'm just looking at it thinking, oh, oh man, look what they've done to to that ship. And maybe yeah. I'm a little bit invested because it's still an Enterprise. And I think as Trekkies, as long as we're not stupid twats, we, we, we generally open <laughs> right. our arms to wide to any Enterprise because it's... Or any hero ship, really, of, of any of the shows. Yeah. But I just felt like the only way you could get emotionally invested in that was if you just considered the Enterprise E to be a new little baby. And you want to be like, no, keep right. your hands off. Keep your hands off my ship. Yeah. You know, she, she's new, she is. You, you'll you'll stay the hell away from her. You're scratching the paint, yeah, damn it. So, <laughs> and I know they kind of referenced that in, in the film where when they're going to self-destruct, Beverly's a bit like, gosh, you know, so much for the Enterprise E, basically. Yeah. Uh, so the film was very self-aware. Mm-hmm. But I wonder if maybe... Because when they first did this film, remember, actually, they thought they were going to use the Galaxy class. Yes. Yeah. 
Um, there's images, I think there's video footage out there of the Enterprise D model with the new registry on it with the E. Yeah. Uh, I can't remember where I've seen that because I've seen that as well. But that was done because they thought they were going to be using those models and the decision got changed. If you remember, the trailer for the film had the D, but I think that was like Stan, that was, they'd already, I think at that point, made the yeah. decision, but they just wanted footage. But and I, th- I think they were probably kind of tying it into to best of both worlds as well. So. Yeah, so I know that they, maybe we would have seen that bastardized Galaxy class, but uh, I mean, I'm glad they didn't remake didn't reuse the ship design. It would have yeah. it would have really cheapened the destruction of the D in a way that I've never yeah, like I've never thought that with the refitted Enterprise and the A because Yeah. So much went on in between the two. Right. But if we just watch the Enterprise D get destroyed in generations the way it was and then suddenly it's the same looking ship the next film, yeah. I'd be like it would make me feel they destroyed the D just for uh, drama in that movie whereas when right. when the Enterprise refit got destroyed it felt like that had to happen for that story yeah uh, that yeah. was that was a an important it's, part of it you, you, you have to sacrifice the Enterprise to to get Spock back pretty much you know right. there, there was actually so yeah you know tra- trading one member yeah, of the family uh, was, for another to, to get that one back yeah so I'm glad I'm glad they went with a different ship design I'm trying to think of, I mean, what were you looking even back now? The introduction of the Borg Queen, because mm-hmm. some people even now, twenty four years later or twenty five years later now, say that the Borg Queen goes against everything that had been established about the Borg as a collective mind, as a right. Um, well, even I think Picard brings it up in this film, you know, in the sense of you know how can how can she exist or it exists, yeah. you know, the Borg. But I guess it makes sense. It's a hive mind. There's got to be someone. Yeah, yeah. There's got to be you know yeah. it, when you think when you think hive mind, you know, especially with you know bees and ants and stuff. There's always the queen. Yeah, it controls. And especially with them calling them drones, it, it makes sense mm. that there would be a queen. We just never saw. Her yeah, until this point. And I love. I, I did like how they sort of tried to put her back in retroactively mm-hmm. into Picard's sort of memory of being Locutus. Um, and even he mentions, you know, you should be dead. Every Borg yeah. died on that. And she's like, you know, you just think in such, was it 2D, you think such uh, 2D terms or whatever? No, I think three-dimensional. Three-dimensional, that's it. Yeah, because cause they, w- they wanted, or they were wanting to have the, the Borg think, you know, smarter than we do within the fourth dimension of, you know, I guess time would be the, the Yeah. Now, I we've still never had an answer in Trek, really, about, the Borg Queen, like, does every vessel have one? Which I guess is where we must be headed to. With the law, is what do you think? Do you think every Borg ship has its own Borg Queen? I think, um, every Borg ship probably has someone that's designated to go into the chamber to act as the Queen. When there's really just you know like one Queen, but all the shit, all the different uh, cubes have have it set up to where she could have a representative. Kind of speaking as her, mm. what well, sort sort of like sort of like with with the the Metatron with with God, I guess. What so Catholic dogma? So kind of like there may actually even be one Borg queen mm-hmm. as a whole, who could be somewhere nice and safe and pretty and well, probably not pretty as a Borg, but 
But then what the 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 all the other ball queens are almost like children in a sense. They're her right. Yeah, um, they're running the family business. Um, yeah, I could kind of I could kind of get behind that. I don't think every vessel has a ball queen on it. I do believe though that every group of ships has a ball queen in charge. So if you've got ten cubes, there's at least one queen who's in charge. She's overseeing it. She's the yeah. she's the fleet admiral, you know, the fleet captain, whatever. Um, if you've got one ball cube going out somewhere, it's probably going to have one queen. We know that every ship is equipped for it. From what seven of nine told uh, sure, yeah, told us in Star Trek Picard when she hooked up to it, and I like the introduction of the ball queen because it. I understand the criticism, mm-hmm. but I think you need it for the growth, and you you do need to have a face of the Borg if they're going to continue as a villain. You, they can't just always be this relentless force that doesn't stop they need to have a right. a voice and someone who our characters can see as their actual enemy in that whole situation so i thought the ball queen was great very alien so alien mm-hmm. when you first see her katie was like oh gosh you know it was horrible so um, yeah so i like that i'd like the whole character i thought i thought she was brilliant in this film and she showed up on voyager the the well, a queen or two queens at least. I yeah, think, a, showed up. Mm. Yeah, um, they had they had someone else play play the Borg queen yeah. up until Endgame, and then they had Alice Creed come back for Endgame. Yeah, just such an interesting decision to make, but I'm I'm grateful for it. It's the last time we've seen the yeah. queen since as well. So, yeah, I think we needed it, didn't we? Didn't we need a queen? There needed to be a villain in yeah. control of things in this film. Yeah, de- definitely needed someone you know directing and and you know pulling the strings. And, you know, definitely giving more, even that much more temptation for Data. And speaking of Data, I mean, this was the first film that really pushed him, I think, to the second lead mm-hmm. that was the case for the rest of the TNG films. And I think this is the first time where that Picard and Data relationship really, really, shows, up. really shows up and yeah. continues then through Insurrection especially Nemesis, and then becomes the driving force of Picard. Because I remember when Picard was airing, some people were saying that they didn't understand why Picard was so um, still obsessed over Data's death because they felt that TNG never really presented Data as meaning meaning that much to Picard, more than any other of his, his close crew. But I don't think that's true. I think maybe TNG didn't, but the the films no, did but the films. And i think it started in first contact when he goes back for data and he yeah. says to to lily that you know he's got to stay behind because his crew never gave up on him when he was a borg he's not giving up and he's not going to give up on data and i think that yeah that was a changing moment i think you could watch first contact through to the end of the card and really get the picard data relationship yeah yeah and and Especially, and, and people also forget that, that Nemesis exists and it shows Data sacrificing himself to save Picard. Yeah. And and if if someone did, I, I'll, I'll be honest, if someone did, did what Data did for Picard for me, I would definitely kind of be feeling the same way Picard, we, we see Picard feeling at the beginning of, of that series. I think even if you don't know the person doing yeah. it, it's always gonna, it's gonna eat you up that mm-hmm. someone did that for you, and 
you would do whatever you could in a sci-fi setting. You would be doing everything you could to bring them back if you could, or just to yeah, yeah. You probably struggle to move on, um, as as happens with Picard then. But yeah, I think the seeds were planted in First Contact um, for that Definitely. for that whole relationship, and they, they've had moments during TNG, but this I think was the start. And I thought I really loved Data in this film. Anyway, I I, I always hate when you think he's betrayed Picard. Yeah. Even now, and I've seen the film so many times, and I know he hasn't. Yeah, oh, yeah. He's just when he turns off the self-destruct, you know, when he gives the computer control over to the Queen, when he fires the the missiles, you're like, oh my god, you son of a bitch, Data. You know, like <laughs> what the hell have you just done? And he just played, and I guess it was all done to so he could get close to the um, the plasma things, whether they were, they were yeah. like the anti. I don't know the green tubes, so uh, just so you could get there and, yeah. and break it. But um, when you first, you probably don't remember it. But like, do you, do you know when you first watched it if you thought Data had turned on him because you didn't, you had no attachment to Data, right? I yeah yeah yeah. I, I I could still definitely tell that 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 you know it looked like that's what was going to happen was that you know. Mm. Data was gonna let the the torpedoes hit the the, the Phoenix, and that'd be be the end of it. Yeah, yeah. How about um, first contact then itself? Because you did know the Vulcans going into this film. Yeah. So uh, getting to see that first contact with them, and I'm trying to think, had Trek established yet that it was Vulcans that we had first contact I, with? I don't. I don't. Not not to my knowledge. I don't remember. Who they said exactly, you know, first contact was with. Um, yeah. Even this film doesn't think, until I, the end. If, yeah. If you notice, whenever they talk about first contact, they don't talk about, they don't name the Vulcans. Yeah. They, no. We see that reveal at the end. So I, I have a feeling it hadn't been established in Trek until that no. point. But it had to be, didn't it? Like, it just had yeah. to be the Vulcans. And because that relationship has always been there, for better or worse, between Earth and Vulcan. And, yeah, I thought, I, I like that scenes when they're, just everything with the Vulcans and Zephyr and Cochrane. I'm yeah. amazed they didn't just turn back. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I thought, I was happy to see the Vulcans there. Obviously, a lot more happens after that. Um, right. We've also seen that end scene in the Mirror Universe. We know it, yes. we know it went slightly different. Uh, in the yes. in the Terran verse, when uh, Zeph and Cochran couldn't do the LLAP gesture, so no. he just pulled out his gun, he, <laughs> shot yeah, him dead. And, you know, and, and he's think he's he and you know you kind of see they kind of kind of mashed up per, pretty well or pretty well between you know here in First Contact and in the the beginning of a, in a mirror darkly, and you see him you know kind of start to reach out, but at that point in in a mirror darkly, you know, reaches and grabs his shotgun. And, yeah, it was Plus. done really well, wasn't it? Yeah, it was done really well. Um, what did you think of Lily in this film? I gotta say, she did she did great, wonderful job uh, by Alfie Woodard. I think the one thing which I've noticed it a few times, but Katie on first viewing today has you know mm-hmm. said to me, she goes, "I really admire that they have resisted the urge to make Lily a love interest." Yeah. And it's right, and they did. 
And I don't think there was ever any insinuation of it. I think potentially when he says goodbye to her and he says he'll miss her. Yeah. And he gives her a kiss on the cheek. And there seems to be a look between them. But I don't think it's love. I think no. that I think that Lily has come out of a world war. Mm-hmm. Uh, we look at what Zephyr Cochran's like now, and I I just yeah. don't think she'd been around a man who showed that kind of emotional. I don't think I guess compassion's not the word. Maybe it is the word, but that sincerity, right? Of uh, of friendship and of any other strong feelings are there because who knows what feelings yeah. are there when you go through what they've gone through with each other during that thing and and what a powerhouse performance though yeah like oh that, yeah again that scene in the conference room i mean have we ever seen anyone do that with patrick stewart to that point on screen no. i don't think so not where you thought probably about the only thing i could think would, would come close would be david warner in chain of command hmm but this was but uh, yeah, I can say to, this was... d- different different scenarios, but yeah, yeah, but still, still, you know, on on the same level. Because she's a good guy in it, and and yeah, quite often, and particularly that scene, painted Picard as the bad guy, right? And and you believed everything she said. And now I I still don't buy into the whole argument that he shouldn't have killed Lynch, and other. Yeah. I mean. Yeah, we saw a little bit of that PTSD coming out when he carried on shooting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was enough, but as she said, I think that's enough or whatever it, Yeah, what she said. But as far as we were aware at that point, drones couldn't come back. I know Picard had yeah. come back and they tried to give some kind of explanation for that in this film um, as to why that was, because he didn't give himself freely. Because I was watching that this today and I was like, well, wait a minute, no one gives themselves freely. But the yeah. idea being that she did want him to be an individual, so the fact he couldn't, he wouldn't give himself freely is what was stopping the uh, him from being assimilated. Yeah, but that apart from that one argument Lily was making, I thought she was fantastic in there, and and I I can just imagine what it was like because I've seen her in so much other stuff. Most recently, she was the main villain in Luke Cage um, yeah. on Netflix, and she was incredible in that. She had a great scene in, uh, which one was it? Uh, Captain America: Civil War. Mm-hmm. She's uh, she's the one who ultimately causes the breakdown of the Avengers by making Tony Stark change his, his perspective on it all. So I thought, what a powerhouse! And it's such a shame that she's just a footnote. If that in the story, yeah. we never hear about her again. We don't see anything about her. I don't know if any books have done anything with her, but what a character! I say I don't, I don't, I don't think so. I'd have to, I'd have to look or ask somebody smarter in the books than I. So, <laughs> all right. Um, I guess we'll go ahead and go with our uh, final thoughts here. So, uh, final thoughts on on first contact and any, anything else? Yeah, anything else you want to want to throw in as we're wrapping up? So. So First Contact is my favourite film of the TNG films. I think it's my favourite of the first ten, as I said earlier. Uh, it's definitely a top five film, even with the 13 that are done now. Maybe it's even top three. Um, I don't even know if it's maybe one. I, I, I have such a love for Star Trek 2009 that yeah, it's, it's hard to hard to decide. And there's such different films, and they came from different eras that it's, it's hard. But 
I think that the cast really, as we said earlier, they really came to bat. They saw the opportunity. I mean, gosh, I wonder if this had been the first TNG film, what it would have done for the rest of the, of the TNG film franchise. Yeah. You know, if this hadn't been number two, but it'd be number one, what a way to bloody start. And mm-hmm. I loved what they did with the Borg and the changes. And I love that they've carried that on since with slightly yeah. cheaper makeup. Like, we'll see in Regeneration. They don't look quite as ghastly as they do in this film because I don't think the makeup's quite as detailed on the face and such. But yeah, I mean, I love this film. I, th- I think everyone was good. I love the uniforms. So much was introduced in this film, Chris. Yeah. The new uniforms, the... New shit. New sh- yeah, new shit. And just, uh, you know, LaForge didn't have his visor anymore. and Yeah, which they, they, they learned their lesson from Generations. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I love that as a piece of continuity that until you said it then, I hadn't even really thought about it. Um, I just thought, oh, the technology's got better. But yeah, I love that there was clearly yeah. this thought that, uh, you know, the visor can be taken advantage of. And mm-hmm. I mean, God, I would have loved to have seen some kind of story, a short track in between of, you know, how LaForge dealt with the fact with that... adjusting. Yeah, but about the fact that lives were lost on the Enterprise because of the fact that his visor was taken advantage of. But, yeah. Oh, yes, that's, a, that's a whole other discussion again for another time. But, I mean, yeah, I really enjoyed this film. How about you, Chris? Yeah, de- definitely my favourite of the, the, the TNG set. Definitely top three from the original ten. Um... And definitely top five of of all thirteen. Yeah, yeah. So. Very similar feelings then from both yeah. of us. I yeah. I, th- I think most people are agreed on that with First Contact. I know some people had issues with this film was the start of the change in Picard becoming an action hero, which mm-hmm. some people now like to blame on Patrick Stewart. But you can't do the films without Picard being an no. action. You know the kind of films that needed to be made in the late nineties, early noughties needed an action yeah. hero lead. Jonathan Frakes couldn't be it, really, given he was directing. Yeah. And I just, I, I think Stuart was the right one for it. But no, great film. And mm-hmm. a wonderful part of the Borg story, which is yeah. why we're covering it. Yeah, definitely would give this uh, five out of five tough little ships. So, <laughs> And honestly, I think that was sort of the, the, the TNG guys taking a, a, a stab at the, the DS9 guys. Yeah, yeah. They must have had fun with each other as cast, though, because they would have been filming with each other for a while, I guess. You never hear anything, though. Yeah, because that Braga and, and uh, Ronald D. Moore wrote wrote the story for First Contact. And Rick Berman as well, yeah. So, did, Rick Berman yeah. did story, but yeah, it was uh, with, with them, and then they wrote the screenplay, yeah. 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 And so Ber- Berman probably put in the line about the, the tough little ship, and or, well, it was probably going to be, you know... Uh, or like little ship or something like that, but Ronald or uh, Ronald was like, no, let's make it. Let's make sure you know it's tough. Yeah. You know, kind of standing up for for his for his fellow DS Nine yeah. cohorts. I loved all the links to DS Nine, subtle links, and DS Nine never got yeah. mentioned, but you know, there's so much connection to it with Worf and the Defiant, the Defiant. and uh, the, the the uniforms. I know they're the first contact uniforms, yeah. but I kind of always think of them as the DS Nine uniforms, yeah, because they were got they were on that for like two and a half seasons. But um, no, I mean so. Next time, Chris, we've got the last one in the Borg yeah. series and the coverage from us on regeneration. Uh, these... not, 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 nothing to do with Doctor Who, but I'm sure we'll probably make a reference yeah. to it. <laughs> uh, yeah. I had a good t-shirt today, actually, um, which has got some a Doctor mm-hmm. Who reference on it. Um, 
Yeah, so next week's the last one. So we've done the TNG bits. Now we're getting back to the Enterprise cast, which will be nice. First time in a few weeks. And so um, I don't know if you have any final thoughts to say on this, Chris, on this episode. But... I say uh, pretty much, pretty much gave them. So I think we're we're good to wrap up. Well, resistance is futile. Yes, resistance is futile, fellow Trekkies. The Expanse, a Star Trek Enterprise podcast, is produced and hosted by Chris Hill and myself, Kyle West, and is a part of the Holosuite Media Podcast Network. To keep up to date with all the news and updates from The Expanse, be sure to follow NX01Podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can find Chris Hill on Twitter at the Chris Hill and myself on Twitter at Kyle Thomas West. To join the Holosuite Media Community Discussion Group, simply type The Nexus into the Facebook search bar, and we'll see you there. Thank you for listening.